0: Welcome to FCC7. In this episode, we listen to a conversation between Peter Bauer and Naterium CEO Luke Moran as they discuss how watchlist screening has evolved over the years, from the early days after 9/11 to today, with AI, the cloud, and industry-wide initiatives. Peter is a senior advisor at the Basel Institute on Governance. Through his former role at UBS and his participation and advisory work in many leading industry groups including the Wolfsburg Group, Peter has been ideally positioned to witness the evolution of financial crime compliance over the last 20 years. To kick off the conversation, Luke and Peter remember how banks had to completely change their approach to screening very quickly after the events of 9-11. Peter, I remember when we met soon after the September 11 attack. At that time, together with the Wolfsburg Group, you were helping steer the financial community's effort to fight terrorism.
1: If I remember... Up until 9-11, banks were focused on anti-money laundering activities. In this sense, September 11 was really a wake-up call for banks. Of course, financial institutions were looking for means to proactively help and play their role in fighting terrorism finance. In the beginning, there was a lot of unknowns for all participants on how to do this. Banks, therefore, suggested that this was an area where they could work together among themselves, but also cooperate closely with the public sector to define the best approach. This finally led to the Wolfsburg Group statement on the suppression of financing of terrorism.
0: This is also when financial institutions really started screening transactions and customers, right?
1: Yes. A key element of this approach was the permanent screening of terrorist lists supplied by national and international organizations such as the UN or the EU. For this purpose, all banks had to gear up their screening organization. They had to equip themselves with more sophisticated screening technology and, of course, adapt their worldwide processes. This was a painful and uh, I would remember a very costly discovery journey for the banks as the permanent screening of their clients and all cross border payment transactions created not only additional costs, but had a direct impact on their correspondent banking and, in particular, on their end customer relationships.
0: It was not very clear how to do it in practice either.
1: Yes, there were also many unknowns in terms of how to and what to screen. What level of fuzzy logic? how to get quality lists to screen against, what fields in attractions to screen against. And remember, in the early stages, little of that information and know-how was available on both sides, for the private sector as well as for the public sector. The detection of terrorism finance, contrary to the traditional AML processes, much more critical because of the potential impact of a terrorist attack and the time element in the detection, which also demanded a review in how to cooperate with the public sector to get the best out of the information captured through the screening process.
0: Even if good progress was being made, I also remember that a few years after that, civil penalties started to hit some financial institutions quite aggressively. I remember ABN AMRO, as early as two thousand and five being fined eighty million us dollar by ofac for Iran related transactions, and then of course many more and bigger fines followed in the subsequent years. What was the rationale for these increasingly massive fines?
1: Well, I think while banks had made many efforts, not all parts of the banks had really fully committed yet to implementing the new process and policies in particular. When we addressed sanction screening rather than the screening of potential financing of terrorism, it needed a lot of organizational and also cultural change to convince everybody, starting with a client advisor, that these new rules had to be followed. Remember, at that time, even senior management was ambiguous to this effort. And above all, the compliance officers were far being so powerful in their organizations as they are today. There was also a foreign policy element to it. Yes, I think enforcement agencies had realized the critical role banks could play in fighting terrorism. Sanctions had proven to be very effective tool of foreign policy. This was considered much cheaper and risk-averse compared to sending troops on the ground.
0: I remember one senior U.S. official in his book even described the discovery of effectiveness of sanctions as the introduction of economic warfare. So de facto banks became the enforcement agents for foreign policy.
1: Yes. Therefore, it became essential for many countries, and definitely for the U.S., to have banks strictly adhere to financial crime compliance regulations. And significant fines are always a very effective way to send a message and drive large organizations' behavior.
0: In the end, it really became aggressive.
1: Yes, not only in the frequency and the magnitude of the fines, but also in the terms of changes it caused for the banks' organizations or the threat of legal actions against individuals. Therefore, whether or not driven by these fines, it should be said that banks did dramatically improve their screening processes over that period. As from 2010 and definitely now, the resources spent by banks to fight financial crime and enforce sanctions are impressive. And the financial institutions' commitment to that fight is very visible. Each of us can witness through the multiple questions we can get when opening an account or transacting in a foreign currency.
0: So banks did indeed make impressive efforts and stepped up their game dramatically in terms of screening. Yet there was quite some frustration within the community. Billions of dollars were spent every year by the financial community to comply with financial crime compliance regulations. And yet the overall effectiveness of the fight remained unfortunately low. It is often mentioned that only 1% of criminal proceeds are actually blocked. This led a number of people to the conclusion that there must be a better way to deal with this. And I know you play a key role, Peter. What happened?
1: It is indeed frustrating to see with so much money being spent, so much friction being created for the end users, and yet what we achieve only has a limited impact. Therefore, banks started to think of how to address this problem collectively by working together between banks, but also with the public sector. Cross-border transactions involve on average three banks and often even more. Each of them, by their domestic laws and regulations, are obliged to screen the same information based on the same principles and by applying the same lists and often also using the same technology. Why do we need to repeat basically the same screening, raising essentially the same alerts, analyzing the same false positives? and request the originators for the same additional information at each of these banks. Why can't we find a way to share relevant information between banks to improve the efficiency of the screening process? With so many technologies available, why do we need to continue to rely on legacy screening technology solutions that were essentially developed 20 years ago? And finally, Why can't we find a way to work together with law enforcement agencies to improve the relevance of the watch lists? As a consequence of this unsatisfactory situation, a number of thought leaders are now looking at the creation of global screening services in the form of central utilities.
0: These central screening services would come with a number of advantages. Which of those do you see as the most compelling?
1: First, there is a demand for increased real-time and same-day settlement for transaction chains to remain competitive against new payment providers. Second, we should avoid the duplication and thereby save costs. Three, we should assure adherence to high-level standards throughout the transaction. Four, we should reduce the number of requests for information, which again are very time-consuming and costly. Five, we should use the opportunity of learning from others because we are looking at more participants and can create transparency across the industry. And finally, this should help us to apply algorithms, artificial intelligence and machine learning to replace the current manual research.
0: It looks like a lot of changes, but actually this is not a fundamental change neither from a regulatory nor from a responsibility perspective. One needs to be comfortable with the concept of outsourcing, of course, but the train seems to have already left the station on that dimension.
1: Of course, this will only provide the necessary improvement in the effectiveness and the efficiencies if banks are able to outsource all their screening to a central provider. As in fact, some banks are already doing now by outsourcing internally to central utilities, which usually you would find in Asia or in Eastern Europe. These utilities look very promising.
0: I see a challenge though. New technologies have the potential to improve very substantially the efficiency of individual banks' screening processes. And we see a number of banks experimenting or even implementing these new technologies. If these new utilities take too much time to emerge, is there not a risk that the benefits of such utilities will be too limited versus the efficiency gains that banks can capture individually through these new technologies? How long is actually the window of opportunity for these
1: utilities and what do you see as the key challenges? Time to act is indeed now and the time span for implementation is critical because the payment landscape is changing at a pace unforeseen only a short while ago. The competition and the clients will not wait for the traditional payment system to reform itself. Therefore, there exists indeed a real risk that if nothing happens, momentum will be lost and banks will lose confidence and focus on continuing their own approach. It is, of course, not an easy project, but I hope we will see the emergence of these utilities over the next two years. I would expect concrete projects to be available by the end of 2021 at the latest, which could become operational in about two years' time in 2022.
0: So 2022 looks very, very close, that sounds very good. Um, What about the key challenges? What do you think, Peter?
1: Of course, a project of such a magnitude and complexity raises major challenges. First, the solution will need a reliable provider with a valid concept and commitment for implementation and the readiness to invest and finance. Second, in view of its systematic importance to the functioning of the payment system, its regulatory compliance, safety, security, and stability of the service will be of prime importance. Banks, as the participants, will have to be comfortable with the advantages of a centralized effort. And finally, and I would say last but not least, regulators must agree that contrary to individual solutions under their direct supervision, A centralized approach will improve the effectiveness of the sanctions regime without compromising their right to oversight and without undercutting the individual bank's responsibility.